You're listening to the sermon series, Dangerous Prayers, at Sojourn Carlisle. In this series, we see how God invites us to grow in Christ-likeness and step into His mission as we learn to pray, search us, break us, unite us, and send us. Peace be with you. And also with you, my name is uh, James Fields. I serve here as the lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. It's so good to see uh, so many familiar faces and new faces for our first Sunday in 2020. Amen? Amen. Our God has been faithful and good, and we're thankful to the riches he's given us in Christ, and we continue to celebrate that. Would you stand with me as we read our scripture this morning? Our scripture is going to be Psalm 51, one of my favorite psalms. And uh, yes, <laughs> and uh, we're excited to look at this psalm as the first word that God will give to us in the new year. Um, we're going to continue in our new series of dangerous prayers, and the dangerous prayer that we're looking at today is break me, God. So hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 51. It says this, it says, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant pa- compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash my, excuse me, completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear, let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want to sacrifice or I will give it. You are not pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. In your good pleasure, call Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me with a word of, in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you and ask, Lord, that you would guide me, your servant, this right now, that the words that I would speak would be from you and not from myself. Hide me behind the cross as only you can. I thank you that your word is sufficient. And I pray, as always, that your word would go forth and not come back void. Let some mind be transformed or let some soul be saved for the advancement of your kingdom. We look to you, Father, as our only hope as a righteous surgeon who knows how to rightly break us and restore us all at the same time. 
Father, I don't have much to give, but what I do give, what I, what I do have, I ask that you would make much of it. So, Father, take my little, make much of it as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. This is my first year entering 20, a new year um, as a pastor, and one of the questions that I've been asked uh, time and time again is, what is your prayer for your church in the new year? What is your prayer for your church in the new year? And I'm thankful to God that we actually get to look at Psalm 51 because, church, this is my prayer for us. My prayer is quite simple, that God would break us, that he would break us, that he would conform us, and that he would restore us into his image and for his glory. Now, let me begin from, from the very jump about this aspect of brokenness because there's a lot of misconceptions about what it means to be broken. One of the biggest misconceptions is that brokenness is not being broken. It's not you taking a stick and literally forcing it by your will to snap in half. When the Bible talks about being broken, it's not talking about um, God breaking us in half. It's talking about him, uh, him, us allowing him to conform us to his will. It's being conformed to something or someone greater than yourself. It's not a broken stick. It looks a little bit more like a curved stick, if you will, much like I have right here. You see, this stick is a gift that was given to me by one of our members, Kathy Heckle. Her brother actually found it um, in the woods, and he, as a craftsman as he is, decided to remake this stick into uh, what we see today. And as I was preparing the message, this Lord brought back to my attention about the stick and how it is curved and it is marked by the elements that have caused it to be in this particular shape. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful to know that God, in his goodness and in his mercy and in his righteousness, he calls us to be broken. You see, we believe that something's not useful if it's broken. We believe that something's not useful if it's, not, if it's inefficient. But God says it's not useful unless it's broken. And it's not useful unless it's dependent upon him. Really quick, I want you to throw a couple of images up for you and see if you can identify what these are. Does anybody remember, know this image right here? Some, yeah, a cell phone. Not just a cell phone. This is the iPhone 11. We live in a snap and upload culture, amen? Some of you might have gotten this for Christmas. You may be able to show it to me in person. I'm not so lucky to show you a phone like that this Christmas, but maybe for my birthday. It's in two weeks. <laughs> you see, due to this little instrument above us, we'll, we'll never know the world in the same way. Everyone in the world is empowered and they are well equipped to be photo photographers, journalists, and commentators on every and anything because of social media. 250 million photos upload per day. There are over 400 million on Facebook alone, not to mention Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and anything else that I don't know about. The most prominent hashtag ever right now is hashtag selfie. And my prediction in 2020 is that the most prominent hashtag will be uh, hashtag uh, slowfies due to this device right here. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it after church. 
And I'm grateful to God. I'm grateful that the Lord did not allow me to go through high school before there was social media. Because if they did, there will be so many embarrassing photos of me that I probably wouldn't be called as your pastor today. <laughs> Anybody know this, recognize what this is? This was the most radical invention before the iPhone. This was what I took pictures of well, I, well, when I was a little boy. My mother took pictures of me of as a little kid. The Polaroid camera. It's actually making a little comeback. It was invented in the 1920s by Edward H. Land, and it has evolved into the world's, uh, to one of the most world's greatest inventions. It's funny, back in those days, we thought the Polaroid was the Antichrist. And here's, here's why, because with this device, you would take a picture, and you'll see the image, not in seconds, but usually in three to five minutes. And then once you take the picture, what you have to do with it? You have to kind of flap it around to make sure that it comes out all right. What about this? Do you guys know this image here? Now, if you know this image, we, we could probably be friends. This is old school development of film. You put it in an envelope, you take it to Walgreens, you prayed, you fast, you interceded to God, <laughs> that you didn't take a whole roll of pictures of your foot. And do you remember this process? It didn't come out in seconds. It didn't come out in minutes. Remember this process is that you had to develop this thing in what we called a dark room. It took nine chemical processes to make this thing work. So the image could come out and be formed on the negative. And if you open the door too prematurely, the light would expose the negative and the image will be destroyed and the picture would never be produced. You see, we live in a snap and upload culture. We live in a world where everybody desires to be discovered and have immediacy results in everything we do. But here's the reality, church. We, we don't need to be discovered. We need to be developed. And the developing process that God takes us through and the developing process that God wants to take you through is called the breaking process. You see, the world says things aren't useful if they're broken. It's all about efficiency. But God says things aren't useful until they're broken. It's not talking about efficiency. We're talking about dependency. I want to give you today three reasons why brokenness is a necessity and why as a pastor I am praying for us to be broken as a church. The first reason is this. It's because our brokenness pleases God. Our brokenness pleases God. The second reason is this. is because brokenness produces blessing. And then third but not least, brokenness precedes intimacy. Brokenness pleases God. Brokenness produces blessing. And brokenness precedes intimacy. You see, if you're like me, we prefer as human beings to throw away broken things, but God loves to use broken things, amen? Our God, our our brokenness pleases God because brokenness is the way of God. Listen to the words of Charles Spurgeon in his sermon of David's prayer in the cave. He says this, is it not a curious thing? That whenever God means to make a man great, he always first breaks him in pieces. 
There was a man whom the Lord meant to make him into a prince. How did he do it? Why? Uh, how did he do it? Why? He uh, met him one night and wrestled with him. You always hear about Jacob's wrestling. Well, I dare say he did, but it was not J uh, Jacob who was a principal wrestler. There wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. God touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and put it out of joint before he called him Israel, that is, a prince of God. The wrestling was to take all of his strength out of him, and when his strength was got gone, then God called him a prince. Have none, none of you ever noticed in your own lives that whenever God is going to give you an enlargement and bring you into a larger sphere of service or a higher platform of spiritual life, you always get thrown down. That is his usual way of working. Love this last part. He makes you hungry before he feeds you. He strips you before he robes you. He makes nothing of you before he makes something of you. I think Spurgeon is on to something. That, that our God, that, that, that God loves brokenness because our brokenness pleases God. And the reason why we know this is because Jesus himself was broken for us. God loves brokenness because Jesus was broken for us. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first gospel, the first word of hope that was spoken after the sin that Adam and Eve did, gave? Do you remember the words that was spoken by God to Adam and Eve in that, um, in that very sad situation? He says this in verse 15. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between, between your offspring and her offspring, talking to the serpent here, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. You see, brokenness suggests not just that something is wrong. It also suggests that something needs to be fixed. This is why God loves brokenness. God loves brokenness because brokenness reminds us all the time that we need fixing and God is the only one who can do it. And from the very beginning, the first glimmer of hope that we get in the scriptures is from a God who causes a man to come and to be, have his heel striked by the serpent. Brokenness. I love how Isaiah 53, 12 puts it. Isaiah 53, 12 puts it a little different way in the servant song about Jesus. This is what the word says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12. It says, therefore... I will give him the portion, the many as a portion. He will receive the mighty as spoil because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. It's a good reminder of Jesus' brokenness and why his brokenness matters. Because Jesus was condemned with sinners so that we might be pardoned that we might be set free. First Peter chapter two, verse 12 says something similar. Listen to the words of Peter as he reminds us of the sufficiency of Christ through his death and his resurrection. He says this, he says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sin, he, we might live for righteousness 
For by his wounding, you have been healed. Again, brokenness. God loves for us to be broken. And again, not broken in the way that we think we, that of, of a breaking of a stick, but being conformed to the will of God. And then lastly, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he invites us as, bro, as co-heirs in Christ to follow this way of brokenness. He, Jesus says these words to his disciples in Luke 9, 23. He said, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his day cross daily and follow me. If you didn't get the intertwining theme through all of those verses, it's this aspect that God loves brokenness. He loves and he desires because our brokenness pleases God. Why brokenness? Not only because our brokenness pleased God, but also because brokenness produces blessing. Have you ever thought about that? The, the, the trial you're going through right now, the troubles you're having right now may be and can be the doorway to your greatest experience of God in your life today. God means it and he allows it to happen through his spirit that our greatest spiritual blessings, our growth and maturity in Christ, our greatest understanding of the person of Christ, and our greatest understanding of the character of God may be and can be found through your greatest sense of brokenness before him. Listen to these words from Elizabeth Elliot on this subject. She says, I'm not a theologian or a scholar, but I am very aware of the fact that pain or brokenness is necessary to all of us. In my own life, I think I can honest, honestly say that out of the deepest pain or brokenness has come the greatest conviction of the presence of God and the love of God. There's no greater tutor that God gives us and allows us. There's no greater incubator or dark room, if you will, that God provides than being broken before him. Listen to what Samuel Chad says in his book, Leadership Pain. He says, paradoxically, Christians often have more difficult, difficulty handling personal pain or brokenness than unbelievers. They look at the promises of God and conclude that God should fill their lives with joy and love, support, and success. That's reading the Bible selectively. The scripture states clearly and often that, that enduring pain or brokenness is one of the ways, perhaps the main way, God works his grace deep into our lives. It's a great reminder that if you are suffering or if you're feeling broken right now, you're in a good place. You're in a good place if you are allowing your brokenness not to define the character of God. Because God has never intended his brokenness to define you what God is like. God has intended your brokenness to define who, what you are like, that you are needy, that you need to be subject and you need to depend on him for not just some of your life, but all of your life. Brokenness is an admittance to God that God, I need to be fixed. I need to be made whole. I can't do it apart from you. And guess what? Only you can do it. Only you can do it. This is a new machine that I just learned about recently. Anybody know what that is? 
oh man, I thought somebody might know. I, I didn't know before I saw it. It's an oil press machine. Uh, it's, it's a machine that's used to take, so I take substances like nuts or, or hard things and pretty much crunch them down in, in order to receive the oil from them. I'm here to tell you today that I believe that some of you may be in the oil press right now. And that's just, this is what it looks like in the physical realm. But in the spiritual realm, it, it may sound, look a little different. There's somebody under the sound of my voice even now that your future is bleak and it's uncertain. Your plans are not going as, as you planned. You're experiencing some unexpected change in your life right now. Your personal desires and goals have not been fulfilled. Your marriage may be falling apart. Your kids may be going astray. Your finances may be drying up, but you may be about to lose a business that you've put all your heart and soul into. But beloved, remember this, that brokenness produces blessing, that the anointing comes from the crushing. There is a direct correlation throughout the scriptures of crushing and anointing. No brokenness, no blessing. Anointing always comes from cr crushing. Greater the breaking, greater the blessing. And here's my remedy to you. Despite it all, hope in God. Hope in God. God sees where you are. He knows where you are. And he's waiting for you to admit that he's the only one that can help you in whatever situation you may be in. Time and time again, we see it throughout the scriptures. We saw it from the very beginning, even in Genesis with Joseph. Joseph was a man who was favored by his, his, his dad, so much so that he got a, he got a coat of multicolor. He was about 17 years old when his, his brothers got tired of his coat uh, of many colors and his favoritism and even the dreams that God was giving him, that he ended up putting him into a pit that led him to prison, that ultimately led him to Pharaoh's palace. But at 17, when Joseph, before 17, Joseph had all these dreams and aspirations from God himself of being great. And guess what? As any brother probably would, shouldn't do, he let his siblings know about it. <laughs> I'm the special one. God has made me great. And he was, he, was, he, was, he was gloating more in the gift that God wanted to give him than the God who was giving it to him. So what did God do? God allowed Joseph to go and be betrayed by his brothers into the pit. He allowed him to get out of the pit and go to Pharaoh's house and be the first in command in Pharaoh's house. But even in Pharaoh's house, he was, put, he was, uh, he was um, taken back by Pharaoh's wife and it was said that he did something that he didn't, so he was then put in prison. In prison, he lasted there for a long time. Can you imagine Joseph knowing and understanding the dreams that God had given him, being in, betrayed by his brothers, being put in prison unjustly, and being seemingly dead there? But there's something that God gives us. There's a hope that he gives us in the midst of that passage of Scripture. And it's a, it's a small verse, but it's so important. It says, but God's spirit was with Joseph. So much so that regardless of where Joseph went, whether he was in his dad's home, Jacob's home, if he was in the prison, or if he was in the palace, wherever God placed him, the favor of God rested on Joseph. 
Because you know why? Despite Joseph's brokenness, God always made the difference. He always gave him favor. He always was there to support and to give him the things he needed. And every step of the way, God kindly reminded Joseph, I haven't forgotten you. I'm still with you. I love you and I see you. I know no one else sees you, but I'm here with you. And I'm here to protect you. He should have been dead a long time ago, to be honest with you. His brothers actually wanted to kill him. But instead of killing him, one of his older brothers, Reuben, said, no, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in the pit. That's God's grace. Even though you are being crushed right now, and even though you're being broken right now, God's hand is still with you. How do I know that? Because you're still here. You're still here. And God is a God who takes our greatest misery He takes our greatest trials and our burdens and he makes them to our greatest message. He makes them to our our greatest testimonies and he makes them into our greatest blessings. There is hope in the process of breaking with God. Don't leave God behind in the breaking process. That's the key. That's the key. God, we need to be broken. But we don't need to be broken by this world. We don't even need to be broken by one another. We need to be broken by you. Because when God breaks you, he doesn't hurt you. When God breaks you, what he does is he allows your will more and more to conform to his. That your prayer life looks different. And you're not just praying. Can you imagine Joseph's prayer life in the prison? I'm sure Joseph was not praying that God would make him all the dreams that he had to come true. You know what Joseph's prayer was in the prison? God, be with me. God, protect me. God, I need you to give me a word of wisdom for these prisoners that are around me. God, feed me. I need you to give me a meal today. And you see where Joseph's attention went from. It went from the blessing that God had promised to give him to the very God who had promised to give him. And God wants to take our eyes off of the blessing of what you want and unto the one who gives you the blessing, who resides in heaven. This is what the blessing breaking process is all about. Take your eyes off the stuff. Take your eyes off the dreams. Take your eyes off of the desires and put them where they always need, they always were meant to belong on God himself, on the one true, the holy one the one who's enthroned and sovereign and majestic and kind and glorious. The Ancient of Days is his name. And he wants you to put your eyes on him and not just on the things that you desire. Psalm 16 says it this way. It says, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are treasures forevermore. In God's presence, there's fullness of joy. Not apart from him, but with him, through him, and by him. When God wants to bless us, he begins by breaking us. Again, brokenness is not some unexpected sadness. It's not some unreasonable sorrow. It's not even unjust suffering. Brokenness is this. It's admitting your limitations before a limitless God. It's having no strength before the omnipotent God, the all-powerful God. 
It's shattering your self-reliance before an omniscient God, that being an all-knowing God. It's putting your hope solely upon the all-merciful God. Brokenness is simply this. It's to willfully admit our need for God and to humbly acknowledge our inability to to succeed apart from him. It is our willful It is to willfully admit our need for God and to humbly acknowledge our inability to succeed apart from him. It's simply saying what what David says in Psalm 51. I'm not good enough. I need you. I'm not good enough on my own. I need you. See, this is not about self-deprivation. It's not about pushing yourself down so that you can be exalted. That doesn't work. That's called false humility. It's like me coming to uh, the guys that play. We play basketball during the week, um, once a week with the guys, and me going to the guys and saying, guys, you know what? (laughs) Knowing that I'm a good basketball player, which I am. I'll say that. Sorry, I'll I'll humble brag. At least least I'll have to think I am. Going to the guys and saying, guys, you know what? I'm, I'm really not a good basketball player. I just scored 20 points, but you know what? I'm really not that good. And what do you want? You want the guy, no, James, you're great, man. Oh my, you just scored 30 points, 20 points, man. You're amazing. That's, that's false humility. It's, it's, it's pushing yourself low so that others can exalt you. It, it's, it's denying the gifting and talents that God has given you so that others around you can lift you up in some type of idolized way. That's not true humility. What true humility is, is to acknowledge who you are in light of who God is. God, I have strength, but I don't have the strength that I need to get through this. I need your help. God, I have resources. I, I thank you for those resources, but the resources that I need exceed me. I need you to intervene. I need you to come in and fill the gap, God. You're acknowledging who you are. You're acknowledging what you have, but you're also acknowledging at the same time who God is. throwing up your white flag before God and admitting to him and to yourself that your way is better than mine, God. Your plans are better than mine. Your ways are wiser than mine. Your schedule works better than mine, God. Your provision is more sufficient than my paycheck, God. Your sovereignty is greater than my understanding. Your weakness is more powerful than my strength. And your foolishness makes more sense than my, my logic. It's bending my will to the will of God. This is what brokenness is looks like. So not only does God love brokenness, not only does um, brokenness pleases God, not only does brokenness produce blessing, but lastly and most importantly, brokenness precedes intimacy. This is why this prayer is my prayer for us, is because what I desire more for us than anything is to be in intimate relationship with God and one another through his word. And we can't do that unless we do the first thing and the first requirement, which is what we call and what the scripture calls us to, which is brokenness. It's brokenness. You want to feel close to God? You want God to be closer than he was last year? You want to feel the presence of God in your situation? Be broken to him, before him. And let me tell you why. Look at verse 17 in Psalm 51. It says it quite, quite clearly. It says, the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled 
heart. You know what that word means, despise? It means that God cannot turn his back on a broken heart. A person who's before, broken before God is like honey to a, to a bear or pollen to a bee. You just can't resist it. God can't resist our brokenness before him. This is why this is so important. This is why this is the prayer that I'm praying for our church. Because before we can have intimacy with God, we have to have brokenness before God and before one another. And again, I'm not talking about sorrow or, or suffering. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about living before the reality that each and every day I'm bending my will to the will of God. So much so that my prayer life changes. And as a result, I start to change even in myself. Psalm 51, again, looking at this psalm, I love this psalm because this is a a photograph, it's a picture of a man who's been broken before God. Notice with me that this is not a prayer of voicing for God to break him. This is a prayer of one who has been broken and David has been broken over his sin. Unlike most psalms, we know the context that this psalm comes out of. 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, where David had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. He tries to cover up by murdering her husband Uriah. Then Nathan the prophet shares a story with David about himself. And David hears the story and recognizes that Nathan is not just talking about some man who's, who's, who's done an atrocity against a neighbor. He's talking about David himself. And David's heart is pierced. And listen to what they, how David responds in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. David responds to Nathan by saying this, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. I love this because it helps us to see what it means when the Bible calls David as a man after God's own heart. When the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart, it doesn't mean that he was perfect. It doesn't mean that he didn't sin. It doesn't mean that he only did what God wanted him to do. But what it does mean is that upon sinning, he was broken by his sin because he felt what God felt. Not perfection, but penitence. David was a man who was humbled and broken by his own sin. He was a man who willfully admitted his need for God, that God would be a God of mercy He was a man who was in need of mercy before an all-righteous and all-holy God. Think about that for a minute. David, wealthy, powerful, handsome, desired by many and envied by most. David. Here's the secret of David's success. Is that no matter how wealthy David got, no no matter how much money David had made, No matter how famous David had become, before God, he always presented himself as being poor and needy. Every single time. You see, the cry of the broken is found in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 51. Look there with me. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Love this. Because it reminds us of David's heart before God to be poor and needy. Here's a question for us in 2020. Would you describe yourself as being poor and needy before God? 
Would you describe yourself as looking to him as your only way of provision, your only source for sustenance? You see, if you are poor and needy before God, there are three words you always will say to him, I need you. I need you. Not just I need, but I need you. See, what's most likely to keep us from God isn't evil, it isn't sin, and it's not even Satan himself. What's most likely to keep us from God is our independence from God. It's our lack of humility, it's our pride and our arrogance before God. Psalm 51, as I said before, is a photograph of a broken man. And let me put a pause here just for a minute before we go to our last section to say this. Something is very, very wrong if you can do guilty things and not feel guilty. Something's very, very wrong if you can willfully do guilty things and not feel guilty. I love what John Owen says about this. He says, the person who feels sin's power the least is the person who is under sin's power the most. The person who feels sin's power the least is the person who's under sin's power the most. It's like someone who is an addict. And I don't want to make fun of that because I have addicts in my family. But it's like someone that is an addict that looks at you and says, yeah, I can, I can quit tomorrow. Easy peasy. I can do it if I want to without ever, ever, never trying to do it. Yeah, they can say they can do it. Why? Because they've never tried and they don't have a desire to try. They don't feel the weight of not trying. They don't feel the weight of, of going against the thing that they so easily go for every single time. Brokenness is pleasing to God. Brokenness produces blessing, but brokenness also precedes intimacy with God. We see this throughout the text, and we see the response of a broken and contrite heart. Look with me in verses 1 and 2. Our response to God with a broken and contrite heart is always one of mercy. Look at verses 1 and 2. Lord, have mercy. David's first cry to God is, be gracious to me, God. Notice what he says. He looks to God, his steadfast love and his abundant mercy. He looks to God in the way that he's revealed himself. This is not something that David just kind of threw out and just kind of grabbed some adjectives that sounded good. God has revealed himself in, in Exodus 36 as a God who's an abundant in mercy and who has steadfast love for his people. And look, look at David's request. He asks three things. He says, blot out my transgressions. Wash me of my iniquity and cleanse me of my sin. These words are not just arbitrary words. What David is saying here is he's given us three aspects of sin. Sin is this. Sin is any act of rebellion against God's way of living. It's any act of rebellion against God's way of living. And he asked for three different ways for him to be forgiven. He says, blot out my transgressions. What is a transgression? Your transgression is your deliberate sin. It is, he's saying this, despite my rebellious heart, 
God, forgive me. Transgression is you knowing that there's a line on, and that's drawn on the sand of you not to cross, and you see that line, and you still cross it. That's transgression. It is a deliberate sin. It's sinning knowing that you're going against God's way of living. He then talks about cleanse me from my sin. What is sin? Sin is missing the mark. It is despite my best efforts, despite my best chances, despite me trying to put my best foot forward, I always fall short. I can never achieve the perfection that I, that I have in my own heart or standards I have for myself or needless to say, the standards that God has for me. And lastly, he asked for wash me of my iniquity. That is my premeditated sin. This is despite my willful dis- disobedience. It, it, transgression and iniquity is a little different. While transgression is you understanding that the line is there and you willfully going over it, iniquity is more of <laughs> a seared conscience. You do things and you do evil just because you want to do it. You don't care who it affects. You don't care who, who, who the ramifications for it. You don't care the consequences. You do it because it makes you feel good. And that's the most important thing, that you feel good, regardless of how anyone else thinks, feels, or opinion about what you, what you plan on doing. It's a premeditated sin. Verses 3 and 4 talks about our response is not just one of mercy, but our Response is also one of confession. Look with verses three and four. For I am conscious of my rebellion. My sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned. I've done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful. My mother conceived me. Confession is simply this. It's an agreement with God. It's to agree with God. It's that God, I agree with you. I will agree with you that your way of living is right and my way of living is wrong. And notice what David does here. He doesn't claim mitigating circumstances. He doesn't bring up or blame his upbringing. He says that he was a sinner before he was even born. He's saying, God, I was predetermined. My my heart was, was was already skewed towards sinning even before I was born. Look at verse 5. He says, indeed, I was born. I was guilty when I was born. Not because Bathsheba went outside and bathed. Not because Uriah was gone. He takes ownership of his, of his sin before God. See, there's no self-justification, only affirmation of God's justice from one who's been broken before him. We own our sin and we absolve God of any wrongdoing Verse 4, he says, against you, you alone I have sinned, you, I, I have done this evil in your sight. You are right when you pass sentence, and you are blameless when you judge. God is the only one who can judge us in the most accurate way. Verses 6, verses 6 through 15, he talks about how, God, I need you. He says, I need you. He says, purify me with hyssop. Verse 8, let, my, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Verse 9, turn your face away from my sins. Blot out all my guilt. You see, only God can qualify a sinner to stand in his presence. And God does this in three ways. As a priest, God cleanses the confessing sinner. As a judge, he blots out our guilty record 
for, for, for throughout eternity, that your slate has been wiped clean, past, present, even future sins, sins that you haven't even committed yet, is wiped clean with the blood of Jesus. Amen? And as our creator, he's the only one that can do what it says in verse 10. God, create a clean heart for me. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. God is our priest. He forgives. He's our judge. He erases our guilt and our condemnation. And, but then he's also the creator. He remakes our hearts moldable. Not hearts of stone, but hearts of flesh that can be molded by the grace and knowledge of his son, Jesus. I love verse 17. It says, the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart. Take hold to this truth. That in 2020, as we move forward, let us as a church go forth asking God to continue to conform our will to his will, knowing that God desires the great, he desires us to grow in the knowledge of Christ and the knowledge of his son through, even through the brokenness that we experience. Would you pray with me? I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.